When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a man who played only 21 AFL games across seven years at North Melbourne and Adelaide, with injury intervening to cut his career short. But it's what England-born Brad Moran did next that makes him such a fascinating topic, because the one-time Ruckman has been wildly successful in the startup technology world. Brad, hello and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Good to, good to be on the show. Let's cut to the chase if we can. Now, in October, you sold your startup software company for $205 million. Now, that, that is a reasonably long way away, Brad, from being on the AFL scrap heap with injuries forcing you to retire, is it not? Uh, it certainly is, yeah. It's, uh, it's been an extremely long road, though. Um, started, started during football. So, um, and I would like to comment on my 21 games. It is, it's a quality, not quantity issue. I think. Uh, you know, it's all, it's all about the, uh, the quality, mate, not necessarily the longevity. So, oh, I, uh, in fact, in saying that, I've just had my hip replaced. So, you know, at the young age of 35. So I don't reckon, I, even if it was the knee that got me, I reckon the hip would have got me soon after. So geez. I don't think my body was ever designed for AFL football. But, but yes, no, I always believed I was a businessman trapped in a footballer's body uh, and, and not the other way around. So... Um, I, was, I was pretty lucky the last seven years. Don't get me wrong, mate. 21 games is uh, 21 more than 99% of people listening. So there's no shame in that. But you have certainly gone on a bigger and better thing. So your life, reading through your journey, Brad, I mean, would appear to have several pinch yourself moments. Now, I'd assume selling your four-year-old citrus ad to a French multinational advertising and PR firm was definitely one of those pinch yourself moments. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I think it was very surreal when the moment happened. And it, you know, in business, you're always constantly doing deals, you're constantly negotiating. And obviously, we, we've known about the deal since since March. So with these types of uh, of acquisitions, they take they take a long time. And in the scheme of things, our acquisition was actually quite quick. So from March is when we sort of entered into what they call a term sheet which is basically someone agreeing on principle to buy your business uh, and then enter into a phase of due diligence. That's when they get, you know, in amongst all the weeds and find all your skeletons and make sure that, you know, everything is what they thought it was. And that probably happened. And then we officially kind of signed our paperwork in, in July. And then we had to go through a period of two months to allow both the US and the Australian government to approve the deal. And then, the, then we ended up closing it 
in September 1. So it was quite a long process. Um, and all through the process, even though it was all legally binding, you never quite have the the kind of uh, watershed moment until, well, until the, you know, the, the money hits your bank account, right? And then uh, I remember calling um, I'm calling John Paul Drake, who's a, an investor of mine, um, and, he, you know, all, all the investors were kind of there and he sent me a kind of GIF emoji with someone hitting a keyboard like 100 times, like refresh, 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 <laughs> like when's the money going to hit? And because he was on a tier two bank and I was on a tier one bank, my, my money hit about eight hours before his did. So uh, he was a little bit disappointed. But, yeah, it was a very, very surreal moment when that when that happened because it, even though the deal was done, had been done for a long time before the money hit, I think once it hits, it finally hits you. And uh, it kind of swept me up in a, in a ball of tears really um, for about a few hours and then, you know, it started to sink in. And, and then it just sort of started the whole reflection journey really for me. It was kind of like a – it was a moment where you – uh, I wouldn't have said, you know, and, and don't take me the wrong way here, but I wouldn't have said, I, you know, I'd sort of started jumping for joy and um, punching the air and stuff. It was definitely a more of a, you know, made me definitely recalibrate and reflect on the last sort of 15 to 20 years of my life and go, okay, well, now, now that you've got to where you wanted to get to, it's probably time to start, you know, repairing all of the damage that you've done along the way because, there is a significant amount of damage that you do along the way because to achieve good things in any walk of life, whether it's sport, business, you know, um, any field, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice. And so, you know, what you put your body through physically, mentally, I think was probably much, much harder than even playing AFL football. Um, you know, and I think back to <laughs> Neil Craig's pre-seasons where you just wanted to put a gun to your head at the end of every day because it was so grueling mm-hmm. um that doesn't compare to startup business so um but i think it, it did help me kind of get into the right mind frame and, and kind of mindset around okay what's it going to require to get there so yeah look it, it is a it was a one of those moments where you look back and kind of reflect and me and my wife went out for a quiet dinner that, that night and you know we didn't have a massive party obviously covid and a few other issues why you can't really go out and do those sorts of things but but yeah, it was very, very surreal. Um, but for me, it was not about the money and it was not about, you know, selling the startup in four years and the achievements. For me, unfortunately, it was about burying a whole bunch of demons. Um, you know, it was about carrying those demons right the way through from football. You know, the footy press can be good one minute, you know, scathing the next. You know, it's a tough environment for young kids to come into. You know, even when we announced the acquisition on on, uh, I mean, Fox Sports got hold of it, News got hold of it. It, it went relatively viral. And then I started to see, you know, the, the 5,000 comments on Facebook. I'm like, you know what, I'm probably not going to read any of these because I don't reckon any of them are going to be nice. And lo and behold, none of them were. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I think it, it's, you know, it was a very, it, for me, it was all about my first startup kind of post-football was, was a big learning curve for me as, as a, as a business person, you know, I'd come straight out of football, not, no sort of uni, not, no business background, just someone who wanted to, to make an idea come to life and wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, and then I just basically pursued people for answers about how to do things, whether it be raising cash or how to start a business or how to build a product or you know, how to hire people. 
you know, kind of learning the ropes basically from from scratch. Um, and and it was a, it was a tough it was a tough six and a half years with some real big ups and real big downs. But I, but I enjoyed some of the first startup. You know, I really enjoyed getting into creating new things. So I really really enjoyed probably the first few years. Um, whereas with with Citrus, it's an interesting story because I. You know, I can say this now. I've got to the end of it. I never enjoyed any minute of it. Uh, really, it was uh, kind of like I knew what I had to do. When I finished my, when I started my first startup, I was kind of like Leonidas from Three Hundred, right? You, you kind of you go in more muscles, fearless, you know, because you don't know what's ahead of you. <laughs> and, and and that's a blessing in disguise because most founders, if they knew what was ahead of them, they wouldn't start the journey. So, um, so coming I- into the second startup, I, I kind of knew what was coming. So it was a. It was a little bit less, a little bit less enthusiasm, but a little bit more pragmatism. So, can I ask, Brad? You're sitting at home and you're pushing refresh, and and the money does drop into the account. So, it, it must be, as you say, the tears that were brought on. Was it mix of euphoria and relief in that moment? Yeah, I'd probably say it was ninety nine percent relief, right? Um, maybe one percent euphoria, but <laughs> but, if, but even though, like. I've been in the startup game for for about twelve years now, but I've never really had money as a motivation. Like money is never really a motivation for me. Um, but it was definitely it was nice to tick the box, right? It was nice to get to the end of twelve years and not have a track record of of of, of failing, right? Because startups, it's it's a very very black and white industry from the outside. So the media, whoever's investors are, you know, they either view you as a success or a failure. And after my first startup, I was viewed very much as a failure. Um, and so for me, this one was about burying those demons and saying, well, you know, maybe it wasn't all me or maybe it wasn't quite a bigger failure as I thought it was. So just in a nutshell then, what is Citrus Ad? Uh, Citrus Ad is basically sh- uh, selling digital shelf space. So as you walk through Woolies and Coles, uh, people pay a lot of money for middle shelf eyeline because that's what sells the most. It moves the most amount of product. Or the end of the aisle, and, and in my first business, we worked in online shopping and built a platform for supermarkets. So basically, what we do is when you go to you know Woolies or Coles and you type in chocolate, milk, eggs, butter, whatever it may be, we are like the Google AdWords of on online shopping. So we allow brands to bid to put their position in the top row in an auction. So basically, what what we do is we we sell shelf space to brands like Coke, Pepsi, Nestle. Um, and what that does is it in, in turn causes a, a revenue stream for the retailers that are using the system. Um, but all we're really doing is moving what was already done very, very well for decades in the store where big brands pay for optimal shelf space. Mm. And we did it online, you know, basically. So we, we span across about 90 retailers now in 30 countries using the platform. So it's a, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a simple business model when you think about it, but yeah. it's a, much more difficult to execute, obviously. <laughs> so indeed. So your life post-career, very different from post-footy career, very different from the average footballer. And your life pre-AFL career was very different from the average footballer as well. Now, you are born in the small West Midlands town of, is it Solihull in England? Yep. Yep. Um, That's all right, Solihull. English parents, Martin and Jan. Any siblings? Yeah, my brother, um, Matt, who's a, he's eight years older than me, and my sister, who's six years older than me. So we all migrated as a family, a family of five and uh, on the Gold Coast. And early on, was it, dream, it was dreams of being a pro soccer player, wasn't it? Uh, up until about the age of 13. And then in England, you know, if you're going to make it or not at 13. Um, yeah, yeah. And then it was actually rugby that got me 
over to Australia. So, you know, I wanted to play professional rugby union. Um, went to a, went to a school um, that was very very big in, in union. Um, uh, for like with my coach. In fact, that seems like a very common theme here. So maybe it's me and not the coaches. Um, so and then I and then I elected to start rowing instead. Started rowing at sixteen. Kind of got bored of that. Wanted to get back into a ball sport. And then a mate of mine played for the local club, Surfers Paradise Demons. And he said, "Oh, we're down. We're down a ruckman. You know, you you can jump and you can you can catch a ball, can't you?" I said, "Oh, yeah, I think so." Um, so just come down and have a training session. So I came down and had a training session there. I didn't know anything about AFL, nothing at all. Didn't even know if the sport existed, to be honest. So this was 17 years old. And Roger Merritt happened to be there because his son played and and he basically gave me an hour of ruck coaching and said, well, you know, you can tap the ball. You should be all right. Get out there and have a crack. And then I literally played my first game three days later and um, played a yeah, half a dozen games for surfers and then half a dozen games for Southport and then the rest is history. You're listening to This Is Your Journey, and it is thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We've barely scratched the surface on Brad Moran's amazing journey in sport and in life, and we'll continue this conversation about his early forays into the AFL world after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, and it's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to AFL Ruckman turned successful businessman Brad Moran. So, Brad, we're talking about it before the break, but the family move uh, from the UK to the Gold Coast. You're 15 years of age, I think, at the time. Why Why did the family move over here? Was, was it because of your sporting pursuits or a, a, a broader reason than that? Uh, no, it wasn't because of me. I think it, largely if you've ever been to England and Birmingham, you, you wouldn't need to make the, uh, the case for why to move to the Gold Coast, uh, England. <laughs> Not a great place where there's you know, pretty crap. Um, people are pretty miserable. Um, and uh, it wasn't really a place where you had much opportunity. We'd been out here a couple of times on holiday to the Gold Coast, me and my dad loved the place. I mean, what's not to like about the Gold Coast when you live in, in a place like England? Um, so, yeah, we decided to, to kind of pack up and move. We'd originally planned to come out here in 2002, but then 9-11 happened and then we weren't sure of the state of the world and where, where things were heading. You know, we, we kind of knew that there was some big things that on, on the cards and we just weren't quite sure. So we basically, my dad literally came home from work one day and said, we're going tomorrow. And so, uh, you know, we literally packed a bag and I felt like a refugee, but uh, <laughs> not, not quite as dramatic as that. But, uh, well, but yeah, I didn't have time to say goodbye to my mates. We just literally got on a plane and went because, you know, we didn't know if they were going to ground the planes or we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if the civil war was going to break out. You know, watching the, watching the news, you thought World War III was about to erupt. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we kind of just, we bolted basically and, and never looked back. All right. So you mentioned you walked into Surface Paradise Juniors because one of your mates got you there. But am I right in saying your mum, Jan, actually saw it on TV as well? And, and you know, as you mentioned, you went from rugby union to rowing and you were looking for something. Didn't you, your mum suggest you give AFL a crack? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, 
That's a funny story. Um, one of the builders actually at our uh, our house was doing some renovations. He was uh, he was a player there in the senior team, and so it was kind of a, I was kind of hit from both angles. Like I wasn't really that keen to go and play, and I played I played one game and didn't like it, and was keen to just keep going back. And I was kind of playing rugby in the second team at school. Like I, I kind of wanted just to play it socially. You know, because I enjoy playing it. Um, and then literally my mom drove down to training at school and dragged me off the field, uh, which was rather embarrassing. Um, but if, if anyone ever knows my mom, you know she's a force to be reckoned with and you don't say no when she says something. So <laughs> she literally came to the school on a Tuesday night and got me from training, dragged me by the scruff of my neck and said, you're coming to play AFL. And, um, and then sort of kind of mandated that I played from then on in. So... Because she, you know, she'd been talking to the club officials, and there was a couple of people that knew some scouts there, and you know, Ben Merritt had been drafted a couple of years before me. Similar type of profile, you know, athletic kind of, you know, basically drafting athletes, and um, yeah. So she was, so she she'd heard from someone somewhere that there was a possibility that someone like me could maybe be drafted, and then she made me give up rugby basically by force. Uh, and yeah, I played probably the first six games hating life. Like I hated it. I did not enjoy it at all because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, they put me in the forward line because I was tall and I was just some idiot defenders just constantly punching me in the back and I ended up turning around and whacking him. And it, 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 uh, they're like, oh, it's just all part of the game. I'm like, you know, well, you're irritating me. Stop it. You know, it was a, it was a very, very unusual transition from reunion to AFL and <laughs> It probably took me half a dozen games to start to get to know it and start appreciating it and start to like it. But, yeah, it was an interesting story how he started. Yeah, and, and if it wasn't for my mum, I would never have played it because I would have uh, I would have just continued to just play rugby and rowing. And um, my mum definitely kind of made me choose between the two and sort of forced me down forced me down the path. So, well, uh, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have played footy at the Southport School, which is the school you went to. Now, is it right they had it in the policy there that uh, there was to be no AFL as part of its school curriculum? So you wouldn't have been exposed to it there. No, no. Again, my life was probably full of controversy, and uh, there was a there was, there was definitely controversy there. Um, the, they did not have AFL in the curriculum, that was for sure. But uh, and it was frowned upon, you know, to, to play AFL, even though they produced some actually half-decent AFL players. I reckon there's been about three or four since me that have been drafted, picked up. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think the GPS schools are very traditional. They want to stick to their traditions of rugby and rowing and cricket, even though you know, rugby unions are dying sport here. Um, I think they could, definitely do, they could definitely do well by putting an AFL program in. Um, I have to be careful. I know the headmaster there now. He goes to the same school as my kids. So, uh, but yeah, look, it was controversial. And at the time, you know, it, it was it was disappointing to see how much the school did not back, you know, someone being drafted. And um, even on draft day, I got drafted. My formal was that night. And school declined to comment, you know, so they just didn't acknowledge AFL. So, well, you don't have to acknowledge AFL to acknowledge the fact that one of your students has made it to the elite level as an athlete. So, but you know what, you know, it, it it's that type of experience that makes you realise that, you know, it, it is going to be a lonely journey and it kind of helped me in a lot of ways, you know, the kind of 
the rifts that were made along the way with various different individuals and businesses. You know, it all solidifies your kind of perseverance and the ability to just to keep keep going. And you know, you you learn some early early hard knock lessons early on, and the earlier on you can learn them, the better. So you know, learning them as a seventeen year old was probably good for me, good grounding. Um, yeah, it was disappointing, but uh, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to get hung up on politics in the, the day. So despite all of that then, and you're late coming to the game, you're invited to the 2004 draft camp, Brad. And at your size, which is 201 centimetres, around 100 kilos, give or take, am I right in saying that at that combine or camp, you managed to set a then record for the 20-metre sprint? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I was part of the attraction of drafting me was my athleticism, right? So, you know, they, they, they thought they could draft an athlete, turn me into a footballer. You know, they were fast and disappointed, obviously. But, uh, you know, couldn't quite make it in the end. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I was a sprinter. Obviously, I was a para-athlete. I could jump. You know, I got a good vertical lead, good good, uh, good sprint. But even that was full of controversy too. So, you know, because the, the, the guy who was uh, running the Queensland team at the time, uh, even though it was there for everybody to see, you know, and I, and I repeat effort did it. You know, I did, I did the similar sort of time twice. He couldn't believe that someone of my height and weight could run like that. And he literally went to the guy on the machines and said, this is broken. You know, this, is, this isn't working properly. It's like, but it's working for everybody else, you know. So even still, he, 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 didn't, he didn't like me very much. <laughs> Again, common theme seems to be happening here. So I think it's probably just me. Um, even that, like, you know, he was sort of calling uh, the draft camp like weeks after saying, oh, he needs to retake the test, he needs to retake the test. I'm like, oh, anyway, so that was that was all fun and games. But, uh, well, but yeah, no, I, I, was, I, was, I was relatively quick for a big bloke. It was enough to attract North Melbourne. So they take you with pick 58 in that year's draft. And, and you, so you walk into Arden Street in late 2004 then, Brad. So Dean Laidley's the coach at the time. Adam Simpson is the captain. And am I right in saying, I think that was before the development of the ground at Arden Street. So it was a bit rough and ready coming down, even coming down from Southport, I'd imagine the facilities might have been a bit of a shock. Uh, the facilities were, were a drop down from Southport. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I remember... I remember turning up at, at Arden Street, sort of walking into the club rooms and, um, yeah, the club rooms are all right, a bit average, but back then. And then I remember walking into the, into the, into the, into the gym, which was uh, the old social club and uh, walking up the stairs into the gym and it reeked of beer. And I was, uh, I didn't realize this was actually the gym and we, you know, started working out in there and uh, yeah, so it, it, it was pre pre redevelopment, but, Look, at the end of the day, we had a we had a fairly decent team, I think. Then, and I think in my second year, we finished fourth on the ladder. So, I don't I don't necessarily think that uh, facilities makes a great team. Definitely makes it more convenient. Um, but yeah, I think after that, we uh, we ended up going to fitness first in the city and, and working out down there, and instead of using the and using the gym. So, but look, we still got we still got our protein shakes, and we still got all of the right. The necessities that we needed. I mean, you look you look over at Collingwood and you just you, you look over with green eyes of envy of like their training facilities and their their on site chef and you know, their sponsorship with Lexus and Versace. And you look over and think every bloke gets a Lexus and turns up to work and all their clothes are paid for and you know they get everything they ever want. Um, but I think that's part of the club's culture is that you always play the underdog and 
Um, I think that works to the club's favour a little bit um, in terms of their, their grit and determination. I think it was all part of the shin bonus spirit, right? And, yeah. Uh, and they yeah. played into it really well. Um, but yeah, it was a it was interesting. It was an interesting uh, first experience. So it was only it was only a couple of years prior to you arriving that obviously Wayne Carey, you know, the, the greatest player in the history of the club, one of the greatest of all time, had left under a huge cloud of controversy. Now I know you inherited the Ducks number eighteen in the end. Did you get given his eighteen straight away when you got there, or did that come later? Uh, no, it was pretty much straight away. So I think no pressure then. They only, draft, they only drafted two kids in my year. So obviously, if you looked over North's trade history, they obviously like to trade in more senior players and don't use the draft as much as other clubs had because they needed to sort of stay in that middle to top end of the, the table because of the sponsorships and the money flowing through the club. And so as I've left the club, I've looked back at the economics of the club and gone, okay, that's why they did it. And for, you know, for another time, we can spend an hour just on that. But um, no, I got to the club and, and they pretty much gave me the number and said, you know, you're going to wear this number. And I didn't really know who... I knew who Duck was at the time, but I, I didn't realise quite the gravitas that he had there and within the AFL. Like I was playing AFL, but I wasn't I wasn't a student of the game necessarily. I, I was if I watched the game, I'd watch it to try and study other ruckmen and how they played. I wasn't necessarily watching it, so I didn't really know a lot about a lot about Wayne Carey when I got there. Which was, you know, to any North Melbourne fan out there, I apologise because it's probably a sin for not knowing. Who their, who their greatest player was or the greatest player was of all time. Um, but I think also it had been sort of sitting there as a dormant locker for a few years, you know, and it'd be starting to get a bit, bit of a, you know, a bit, a bit of hysteria around it. You know, I think the number needed to be given to somebody. And that year it was me and Jesse Smith. And obviously Jesse Smith, his dad has a long history with the club as, as, as did the Smith family. And I think, I think I was probably the best person to give it to because I had no history, no baggage, kind of no expectations either. So um, I think I could get it and kind of fly under the radar as well, as much as I could fly under the radar with his number. It's very incredibly difficult, but I think I was kind of like the perfect fit to take the number because I, you know, I was probably going to draw the least amount of attention and sort of get rid of that stigma that the 18 had kind of caused at the club. We need to get to a break, Brad, but your debut, your AFL debut, came a couple of years later. So it was around 21, 2006. It was at Aurora Stadium in Launceston. It was against Hawthorne. And I tell you, a pretty handsome debut. 21 disposals, 10 marks, 4 clearances, 10 hitouts. And it came in a, a pretty nasty defeat. The team only kicked 4 goals, all in the first quarter, none after quarter time. And you got a rising star nomination out of it as well. So it was a pretty sharp debut. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. you'll take it. Yeah. Uh... I think I think I, I think I broke a record for number of possessions per minutes played, but no one keeps those records, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I played twenty-seven minutes of football. I came on for the last five minutes of each quarter, but um, I just don't remember the game. It was all a big blur. Mm. It was uh, it was a fantastic experience, although you know when when because I've been playing in Tassie all year for the Tassie Devils, and when I got my first game, my call up, Dan said, "Right, you're in the team." And I looked at the fixture of where we're playing, MCG. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Tassie. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Surely not playing my first game in Tasmania. So, uh, but I knew the ground well. That was the only benefit, right? So I knew where all the holes were in the ground. I knew where the wide pockets were. I knew how to pick up the ball. Yep. Uh, and and that, that sort of ground was, you know, suited to a guy like, like me. So, yeah, it was a very surreal experience. You're with This Is Your Journey, and it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with Brad Moran right after this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Brad Moran, whose shortened AFL career turned into a very successful business one. So, Brad, two encouraging games with North Melbourne to close out 2006 in the end, but only one game in 2007, and you traded. And you traded to Adelaide. Now, amazingly, you're still following Wayne Carey because you're given the number two jumper, which Duck wore during his time with the Crows. Yeah, I know. Oh, the irony. It, it was... It wasn't really intentional. It was just the only decent number of the Crows that was that was available at the time. It was either that or I was in like the 40s. So, um, yeah, 18 and 2. So, yeah, I'm not sure what that means for my career. Certainly didn't have the illustrious career Wayne did, but um, I think he was also riddled with injury at the Crows. So I think it seemed to be a bit of a cursed number, number 2. I think uh, the guy before me was fairly injury prone as well. And then uh, Brad Crouch, I think. Um, or two as well for a while, and mm-hmm. he had a few injuries early on in his career. So, who knows, mate? That's, uh, it, it was a, it was a, it was a jinx end of the locker room that one. So I think everyone wanted to get as far away from one and two as they possibly could. <laughs> but uh, Jarman made a good, a good, a good career out of number two. So uh, at least one bloke is. So your first game for Adelaide comes round 16-08, but it's the move forward to cover for a former teammate of yours, Jason Poor Pleasure, that turns head. So you kick four goals and an eight-point win over Carlton in, in round 18. These were these were, were big highs for you in your footy career here. Yeah, it was it was that was that was a good that was a that was a very, very surreal moment where if you count the number of endorphins, you know, that you have in your lifetime, I reckon I spent most of them in that game. Um, you know, I think uh, as I kicked my fourth goal, that feeling, uh, you know, it was a big crowd then too because it was Carlton, so Carlton had a good following. That moment I'll remember forever. Um, but funnily enough, though, it wasn't the game I enjoyed the most. Um, the, the game I enjoyed the most was actually the game previous week against Sydney. It was away. Um, I'd been dropped after my first game, so I played against Port Adelaide in a showdown in my first game. I thought I played all right. You know, stood my ground, played against two you know, pretty hefty ruckmen, you know, Dean Brogan and, uh, and Laid, you know, so they're not exactly easy easy beats. Mm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so I got dropped and then I got called about 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday because uh, Chris Massey went down injured or with, he went down sick. But I remember going to that game with absolutely no inhibitions at all, no fear, didn't care because I'd been dropped. So I thought, well, it's a... It's a free hit, right? You know, it's, it's a I get a free shot at this, and it's a weird one because I remember playing so many games in my career. I've just been an absolute ball of nerves, and just being all about okay. I never went into games going I want to play well. I went into games thinking I don't want to play badly. Like it was just I, I just want to kind of get through the game without making too many errors. Like and and, that, and unfortunately that was my mindset, and it was not a good mindset to have. It's probably why my career was so short in the end. And, and to be honest, it was it wasn't an enjoyable career, but I did enjoy the Sydney game because I went out there and I had no fear. And because I had no fear, I just played with freedom. You know, I don't know a lot of guys do play with that sort of freedom uh, because they get to a state where they can enjoy the game. Um, but I just remember that one vividly. And I remember I knew nothing would bother me because I was playing fullback on Darren Jolly 
so I played all year in the ruck and then I, and they, they put me at uh, at centre half back and I played the whole game at sort of back line centre half like keep keep position and, and within the first two minutes, you know Craig is like punch always spoil from behind particularly against a big guy like that. So the first two minutes Darren Jolly comes out and I try to outmark him he clunks it kicks the goal, runner comes out gives me an absolute spray, um, but then from then on I just thought you know what fuck it sorry about my French it's the, it's the new company um, uh, I. I just decided to clunk everything. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go out and just try and mark everything. And um, and I had a pretty good, pretty good game, and, and, I, and I really enjoyed that game. Um, it was a, it was a, but yeah, it was all about confidence. And when you're playing with confidence, you're just a different player to when you're not playing with confidence. You know, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, absolute yeah. chalk and cheese. So just before we leave the footy, then because by 2009 you're regular, you were pairing with Ivan Maric in the ruck. But what became a reoccurring theme for you, unfortunately, was you went down with injury. Now it was a knee midway through that year, a PCL that wiped out your campaign, and you had knee issues, you had hip complications from that original PCL. You missed a lot of games, and by the end, I think you said you'd lost the passion. In fact, I think you said upon retirement that your business ideas had more legs than your own. Yeah, well, well, it seems to be proof in the pudding now. Um, but uh, at the time, yeah, I was largely criticised at the time by the media for making those comments. But I think as uh, over the last 15 years, I think a lot of issues with mental health have come out about players being more open and honest about how they actually feel. Mm. And when you get up in front of the press after every game, you're supposed to, you know, read from the script and say the same old stupid cliches, you know, it's not about me, it's about the team. It was a great team effort tonight. You, know, you, you can hear him. You can, you, can, you can forecast what a player's going to say before he says it. I don't even know why they're having players on the TV these days because they're just robots when they talk. But I basically just said, yeah, my heart's not in it anymore. You know, I just didn't want to play. I just didn't enjoy it. You know, I, I can't give you any more honest answer than that and the fact that I just run out every game and just, didn't, didn't want to do it. And it was largely based on, yeah, I was getting some form in 2009. I was pairing up. It was, it was a good, I was, I was enjoying that year. It was a good year. And then obviously I had the knee injury. Had the, I probably had surgery I didn't need as well. I had, I, had, I had an artificial graft put in a PCL, which would have really only bought me three weeks. But that was the year that we kind of went down to Collingwood in the, in the prelim and uh, with Jack Anthony kicking the goal after the siren. So, that would have made me make finals, so having the having the graft put in, but it got infected. It, I didn't realize it was infected till twelve months later. I just couldn't heal properly. And then when you spend sort of thirty six weeks on the sidelines watching, you start to get very bitter and twisted about life in general and watching the team. And you just you feel like you're not even part of the team anymore because you've been so long in rehab. You know you haven't been training with the group, and it becomes it becomes depressing. And I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to do that anymore. You know, I'd lost the passion. Um, and then I got to my kind of final year. I knew I'd got a year left on my contract. Could I have come back and you know got my body better? Probably I could have got it to probably ninety percent of where it was. But I just mentally, when, when you've dropped off one percent mentally, because the mental side was all I had of my competition. That was all I had. You know, when I play against other players or my teammates or you know when I was training against them, it was my kind of determination that made me a competent player and as soon as you lose that determination you're one percent off you then start to become submissive you know your rap contests aren't quite as hard you're not quite as physical and then you start to you know you like to start to lose form and i just didn't want to i just didn't want to be the player that just got worse and worse every week so kind of made a conscious decision in my own mind to start my business career whilst i still had a contract and still had a wage um and started the business on 
on the side really and you know I was still fairly heavily injured that year so I still had plenty of time on my sleeve to kind of kind of get things going for post football but yeah I kind of got lucky in the end there was, there was so much luck involved you know, I'd like to say I created everything by design and look you can have the best laid plans in the world but it doesn't mean they're going to go to plan I think I was very very fortunate to have the Crows you know board and People around the club support me in my endeavours, um, and that's really what gave me the kickstart in the business career. So, got, got a lot of uh, got a lot of thanks to people like that that put me on the way. We're talking to the fascinating Brad Moran on this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Well, retirement it had set Brad free, and as you'll hear after this break, he was just getting started. All right, mate. I think we just our last segment coming up. I've, we've got to resend the link. I think this Zoom uh, uh, meeting time right. is, is going to expire, so I'll just let Coxie do that, and um, we'll send you another do link. Do you want me to join the same link, or do you want me to join another link? Um, same link. He'll resend another one, mate. Um, is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Do you want me to jump off this one now? Yeah, let's jump off, and we'll we'll both reconnect. Thanks, buddy. All right. See You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, and Brad Moran has been our guest today. So, Brad, that call on your retirement was August 31st, 2011. Now, when did NoQ become a reality? The the day of your retirement, wasn't it? And it was already in the works, as it touched on before the break. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, the company had sort of been going without my help, well, with my sort of bit of help uh, for the past sort of six months. Uh, I'd hired a few different people. I had a CEO kind of running the business at the time, and we actually launched the product live into the market on the day of retirement. So. Um, I thought I'd use my retirement announcement as a, as a way to drop the drop the new product and give it a little plug, a little <laughs> kickstart in its career. <laughs> the uh, club were filthy about it, but uh, right. did uh, you do? Did you drop it in the actual press conference? I had the press conference at one of my customers' coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So. Uh, it, it's so but now- look, you, you only get you only get one chance to retire, and unfortunately, right. you know, I think a lot of the Adelaide Crows. Uh, shareholders and backers would have much preferred me do it the way I did it than sit there in the club rooms with a couple of sponsors behind my back and say, I'm, I'm hanging up my boots like every other bloke that year. So, um, you know, it's boring those who cares about, you know, cares about me retiring. Um, but the business launching, well, that was something interesting. So, yeah, um, it, it, was, it was good. It was, it, was a, it was a good day, that one, 31st of August. It's funny, though, because 31st of August, almost, it was – Six years to the day that I got sacked from my first business on the 31st of August. Uh, and then and then 1st of September is when we closed the deal. So it kind of seemed a little bit like the stars were aligning every every five or six years for different milestones. So we spoke about Citrus Ad, but this NoQ was your first startup, really. The mobile ordering app that, as we now know, allows the user to dodge the queue by pre-ordering food and drink. How did you actually come up with this idea, Brad? Actually playing against Essendon in, I don't know, I think it's 2009. Nine. Nine was, yeah, yeah, over in Melbourne. 
I remember sitting at event theaters thinking, well, I had, I had one of the first iPhone twos. So I jailbroke it, got it from the US, loved my gadgets, got it and thought, this is a fascinating piece of, of technology. Imagine what this got. And then my brain started going all things it could do. And I was like a big fan of Nando's because I obviously playing footy, you got to eat relatively healthily. And uh, I thought, oh, I really want some Nando's sitting in the, sitting in the movie theater. It's going to take 20 minutes to cook that chicken. I really want that chicken, though. Like, how good would it be if I could just pre-order it on my phone? Mm. Sit here and in my chair and order it and go get it. And that's kind of where the idea kind of spawned from is that concept of just joining what was available technically. So the iPhone made it possible. And then trying to join the dots with the with the retail. And I knew the demand was going to be there. So obviously Uber Eats now is killing it, right? It's the same business model as Uber Eats to, to a large degree, but we were just way ahead of our time. And with technology startups, I think Silicon Valley have basically coined that 60% of the reason that you're going to make it is based on your timing into the market. So you're too early, too late, you're dead either side. So we, we were a little bit too early with NoQ, um, which is why we pivoted a couple of times, ended up being an e-commerce platform for grocery, which, uh, which is where it kind of ended up. But, but you can have, but Brad, you can have great timing and you can have a great idea, but then you need to finance it. So how did you attract investors? Because, hey, it looks easy on paper, but in reality, I'd imagine anything but. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very, very difficult. Um, but it's, and, and a lot of startup guys want to get out there and, create a deck and pass it to a VC and just hope the money rolls in. But the reality is that's not how it happens. You know, it probably took me about 70 meetings to get, get my first check. 70. So that's seven, 70. That's probably 70 one-on-ones. I've sat with just individuals, accounting groups. Um, every time you pitch, you get a little bit better. They give you feedback. So it's a very good educational process. But 70 I remember sitting there with, Oh yeah, 70. Yeah. And most, yeah, that's the difference, right? Is it, is it, where do you draw the line and give up or go, this isn't going to work? So, you know, luckily for me, I was just pig-headed and didn't want to stop and thought it would work eventually and, and finally got there in the end with, with one bloke putting in some cash. And then once you get kind of one guy, two guys, then it becomes a herd, herd immunity, right? It becomes like a herd flock mentality and then people, because the first guy I got was very high profile, all the guys that said no to me, I went back to every one of them and said, well, this bloke's in now. What do you think? Oh, that's, that's that's a different proposition now. You've got some credibility. You're not just a you're not just a dumb footballer with an idea, right? So uh, it, it became became a little bit more credible. Um, but yeah, look, I, I went to just about every high profile um, Adelaide businessman and, and try to pitch him. And and look, one of the fascinating stories. I won't tell you the name of the guy because he's, he's obviously a very private man, but very very famous, wealthy extremely successful guy in Adelaide. Um, he goes, look, I've made a ton of investments in my time in startups. And he, and he I sat in his office and he puts down this big whack of documents and it's probably, I don't know, two foot thick. And then he brings out another one that's a, it's a you know, slither you know, about one document. He goes, oh, these are the startups that have, that have made me no money. I've lost everything. And these are the startups that made me money. And uh, he goes, you got about a one in 50 chance. But he said, if you, if you can raise 900 out of your million, I'll give you the last 100 grand. And I think he choked on his cornflakes when I turned back up and said, I've got the 900. And I think he was ever expecting me to get it. So, <laughs> And was he uh, in? But he was in. He was a man of his word. Uh, so he came in reluctantly. I don't think he uh, necessarily uh, wanted to, but uh, he promised me that if I could get, if I could rope in 25 other blokes, 
uh, that, that, that he would uh, happily part with his cash, and he did so. So very grateful for that. And, and Rob Chapman was big here, wasn't he? Obviously, the Adelaide chairperson, just connection-wise. Yeah, Chappie was good. Um, he definitely got a little plug in the media, though, didn't he? It's, uh, I mentioned his name, and all of a sudden, he's the, he's the star maker. But uh, <laughs> now, nah, Chappie's a good guy. Um, Chappie was actually the first bloke I went to. So I had an idea. Actually, Triggy was the first bloke I went to, um, being obviously the first mm. operational person at the club. And I said to, said to, I said to Stephen Trigger, I said, look, I've got this idea. Who in the network of the Crows is worth talking to? And obviously, he put me on a Chappie, and I met with Chappie at Westpac, uh, sorry, the Bank of Queensland, Bank of, Queensland, Bank of SA building. And, and Chappie was an entrepreneurial guy and had an entrepreneurial uh, mindset, had good, some good connections. And he sort of set me on the path to meet with a couple of other blokes that then became very, very uh, influential. So, yeah, he, he was the sort of spark that lit up the fire and, and, and helped me along the way. And, and, and unless you have that catalyst and that's someone who takes an interest in your business early, it's very, very difficult to get anywhere. So, you know, very, very fortunate to have guys like him that just just wanted to help, you know, nothing in it for him. I mean, he later became an investor in the business, but um, not in the first round, funnily enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it be, helped me with his time and his, and his knowledge. How did it end? As did as 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 everybody, right? Yeah. As everyone. How did it end with no cue, though? Uh, yeah, there could have been better endings. <laughs> Fun to be politically correct about the way it went. Um, look, I I look back and reflect. At the time, I was filthy. I was very, very angry. I was emotional. It was my baby. I kind of got forced out. But look, I look back, and there's one thing that the business career has taught me as it's taught me about football. And it's always look in the mirror first. Right? What did you do wrong that caused this situation? And there were hundreds of things I did wrong. And so there's no way I could have walked out of no queue going sulking that, you know, the world had been bad to me and, you know, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been let down by the people that, you know, helped rise me up. You know, I think there was, in, in, in a nutshell, I think what happens in those types of businesses, we'd been going for six years, we'd pivoted a lot of times, we'd raised money a lot of times, investors get fatigued. You know, and the board gets fatigued and they're just like, okay, when's the next idea going to be the one that actually gets this business on track? Unfortunately, the one that kind of got towards in the end, we'd finally got to kind of the home straight in terms of having the right business model at the right time at the right place, kind of got it going. But it was too little too late for me personally. I'd, 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 I'd annoy too many people along the way um, as investors and, and, and board members. And, you know, I probably would have got rid of me too. You know, I think that uh, when you look at it from an investor's perspective, you have to look like you're managing the company with good corporate governance. And that means that you're doing the best for everybody. And if there's, uh, you know, whilst I was a very passionate founder and, and, and I had a lot of respect from my team members at the time, I had lost, I had lost the confidence of my investors and, and the board. And, and rightly so, when any public company or any company at all loses confidence in their board and their investors, they they get the chop, right? So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, how, un, how unfortunate you think it is, how unfair you think it is. It, it was it was the right thing to do for the company. It, it was obviously bitterly disappointing for me. The way the way it happened wasn't wasn't terrific. That'll come out in the book maybe ten years from now in terms of the gory details. But uh, we'll leave them off the air for now. But uh, but look, sliding doors moment for me. You know, I got pushed out. Didn't want to get pushed out. 
But if I hadn't have been pushed out, I wouldn't have gone on that six-month kind of journey of reflecting on, you know, life and what I wanted to do. And I would never have been given the opportunity to start Citrus, which then went on to become very successful. So, you know, not that I kind of want to thank people for firing me, but it, it, it everything in life happens for a reason and you have the downs and you have the, you know, the really crappy moments and, and they're often the ones that spark the biggest flames for all the, the better moments. And so, you know, it was a, it was seven years of, of, of learning incredible life lessons and incredible business lessons that, that let Citrus then become, become more successful more quickly. So Citrus starts in 2017. As we said uh, off the top, it sold uh, in October for $205 million. So you, Citrus has made you wealthier, I'd imagine, than you ever thought you would be. So the question I've got for you now is what, what next? What are you doing in, in the here and now? And what's, what's the, next, uh, the next big idea? Yeah, so still still running the company day to day at the moment. Um, part of the part of being acquired is that you you know you continue to operate the business as a wholly owned subsidiary of of the major group. So the group is a very very large group, ninety thousand employee. You know, very very big hundred country company. So they need me to continue running the business. Right. So, and I'm happy to. I think post post Citrus though, what do I enjoy doing? You know, I enjoy I enjoy startups. Like I love startups. I love the I'd love to be coaching startups. Um, I'd love to give my time to people in the startup game to sort of help them miss all the all the pitfalls that I managed to go down. You know, I could probably write a fifty-page manual on all the things not to do, uh, which is probably more practical than all the things to do. <laughs> um, but I love startups. I mean, I thought about starting a fund, but it's still a lot of work there. But um, yeah, I think post post citrus, it'll be very much staying around in the in the startup community, whether that's a startup mentor, coach, investing in, in businesses, obviously I have a keen eye for what's what, what's going to work and what's not. Um, but then, you know, I think I'm going to spend a little bit more of my time and resources doing more philanthropic work. You know, the, the world doesn't need another another startup in technology. Um, it probably needs people to do more meaningful things. So, um, I'm actually I've actually started a new role. I've started a new job. Um, Big announcement last week. Oh, you probably missed it. It was it was Australia wide, but Service Paradise Demons announced their under eights head coach. <laughs> well, and, uh, that was me. So that's my start at coaching career. You know, watch out. Well, Twelve years from now, train be, them, uh, could tra- be coaching the under twelve. Train them hard like Craigie, and that will serve you very, very well. Uh, Brad, I've got to say thanks so much for donating your time today. I could spend double the time with you, to be honest. It's a fascinating uh, journey. You were dealt a raw hand with your your footy dream, but geez, you didn't allow yourself to be consumed by disappointment. In fact, you use your farewell press comments, of course, to to push your next dream. And I get the feeling, though, the best might still be to come. Looking forward to seeing what comes next. Well done on all you've achieved uh, thus far, mate, and best luck for the future. And thanks a lot for joining us. No, thanks for having us, Sam, and I appreciate your time. And thank, thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.